Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of the man, and he brought her to the man. So God forms from the rib. This is shapes. The same word is what gets used of a potter making a pot. You know, I don't know if you've ever seen a, a, a potter's wheel. And we did it in middle school when I was a kid. But sometimes it's a very small lump of clay. Depending on what the potter wants to form, you know, he may put his hand inside of it and just suddenly just draw that thing up to like three feet tall. And it's just formed suddenly. And so I see the hand of the Lord just taking the rib and, and just making, you know, and there it is, there she is, you know. You know, in all of her great grand glory and part of the crown of the creation. And then he brings her to the man. And just a comment, no, notice, and something completely lost in the text, and to our under, unless we really get down and meditate on it, is the kind of healing we will have in our physical bodies in heaven, the healing from all of the, all of the uh, deformities or aches or pains or we had in life, how long will that healing take and how complete will it be? Well, how long did it take Adam to recover from having a rib removed? It doesn't even, we don't even mention it. He stands up and composes a song. You know, he, we're not told anything about Adam taking time to like, you know, and he's not like favoring his side and complaining and go get me a drink of water and stuff like that. It's just, he's just up and singing right away. So there's no bandage and all of our attention is on the woman, not the wound. So like nothing. The man said, and here is his poem. This is now bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman for she was taken out of man. Um, so in Hebrew, um, uh, uh, the superlative is spoken this way, bone of my bones. Um, in English or in many languages, we have a statement and then a comparative and then a superlative. So we have the thing, like the word good, for example, just an adjective. And then the comparative is better. This one is better than that one. And the word best. So best out of, out of many, right? So bone of my bones is the superlative, best of my bones. Flesh of my flesh is best of my flesh. Like king of kings, lord of lords. Those are all superlatives. So he is saying, she is the best part of me. I'm trying to think of that was a song by, what was it? Was it Ambrosia? They were an Australian group. You're the biggest part of me. I'm thinking that's... This is late 70s, so what year were you born? No, I don't even want to know. Don't tell me what year you were born, but anyway. Okay. So, and then he says, she shall be called woman. This is Isha in Hebrew, for she was taken out of man. Man is Ish. So the, the play on words works in English, doesn't work in German, doesn't work in Greek, but it works in English and in Hebrew. So we get to hear it. Woman, man, Isha, Ish. In fact, the ah ending in, in Isha really is the Hebrew um, way of saying out of. It's a, it's, um, a locative. That's the grammatical term for locative. Hey, is it's, it's the location. Where did it come from? So Ish is, Isha is the one who came out of the Ish, out of the man. 
So even in her title is her origin, her place of origin. Okay. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united to his wife and they become one flesh. Very commonly spoken by Christ in the New Testament several times when Jesus talks about marriage, this is what it is. Um, And a man should leave the one estate, the family, and then move into the other estate, which is um, the new family. But they are both part of the second estate in Scripture, that is the estate of marriage. So when you're small, you're in your parents' marriage, and then you grow up and leave the home and get married, and now you're in your own second estate. The first estate is the church. The second estate is the home. And the third estate, this is not the three estates of this French Revolution. It's the three estates of Scripture. The third estate is the government. No matter how much you and I paid in taxes recently or are about to, you know, we're still subject to the government. Now, with regard to marriage, I'm going to just talk about this for a couple minutes. So marriage is to be entered into for life. This is God's will. The marriage ends, according to God's plan, only in death. Only one exception, and that was when God was making an illustration with the prophet Hosea. Take a wife who's unfaithful, and then God told Hosea, put her away, divorce her. But that was to make a point about God's relationship to Israel. Otherwise, ends and it only ends in death. It is ended by man in sinful ways. Um, a man might end a marriage with divorce, or a very wicked man might end a marriage by murder or, or some other form of abandonment and so forth. If you read um, uh, some of the old mystery writers, Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, the Sherlock Holmes things and so forth, or Agatha Christie, you'll find a lot of variations on killing one's spouse, different ways of killing your spouse. Um, yeah. But the purposes of marriage, um, when I was a, a kid in catechism class, we learned the three C's. Um, I tried for about 10 minutes to turn it into the three F's for the sake of our children today. Fidelity, family, and friendship, but three F's the kids just giggled at, so I went back to the three C's. So companionship, it's not good to be alone. Chastity, it's better to marry than to burn. That's 1 Corinthians 7. What's the difference between chastity and celibacy? Right, it's not having sex ever. And chastity is being faithful within your marriage. Yeah. So, And then finally, children. The third C is children. In the command to be fruitful and multiply. There are other benefits that are side benefits of this, but society is helped by their being marriage. And so um, in almost all cultures, marriage is regulated, and God permits this, marriage is regulated by the government in some way. Um, I just taught this yesterday at our pre-marriage seminar at St. Paul's. So there are certain things that we must abide by in Minnesota, although God doesn't command them. For example, uh, 
I must use a black ballpoint pen to sign the license. Not legal to use anything else. I believe that the reason goes back to the 1940s and 50s when photocopiers were brand new and copiers in the old days could not read the color blue, which also might be why blueprints were blue in the early days of photocopiers. A copier couldn't do that, so it would be very faint or whatever. Different, different issue, it's yeah. Got different, uh, process. Yeah. No, I know that, yeah. but a copier can't read it. Correct. That's the, that's the issue or part of the... Also, uh, with regard to a marriage, um, you know, the government says you have to have two witnesses who are at least 16 years old, who are not the officiant and not the, two, and not the couple. So, uh, and, a, and a witness has to be 16. That yeah. Young. Yeah. To be a witness. Yeah. Okay. It's in most of the U.S. Minnesota's laws are identical to Wisconsin's and Washington's, and those are the three places I've served. So I, I know those laws. Also, the, 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 uh, the, the, the bride and groom can be 16 in most U.S. states. However, if she, if, especially the bride is not yet 18, all four parents and the officiant have to sign off and say, I'm okay with this. If any one of us says no, then it doesn't happen. Um, uh, there are some other things. The license has to be paid for, you know, and, and things like that. And a, a license now, I don't know what you paid for yours, but it's 125 bucks now. Unless you take a certain amount of, of a conflict resolution and other counseling, which is what we provide in our pre-marriage class, then it drops down to 40 bucks. There's, a, there's, a, there's a, a definite advantage to taking the classes. You know, um, there are a couple other things. Why the difference? Because so many marriages end in divorce that to have some conflict resolution courses... This is how you have a discussion. It's an incentive to take those and then to think about it. The classes? Yeah. Both. But the government accepts the church's classes. And government courses are very hard to find. Yeah. I don't know of any government-run courses in Minnesota. I knew of one in Milwaukee. I don't know that Minnesota actually has any, but it permits them. So you get the non-Christians come to church. Yes, wow. yes, That's a yeah. There. Mm -hmm. It is. There you go. All right. So some positives, um, or I'm sorry, we just had some positives. These are negatives. So marriage is negative in the theological sense. It isn't a human invention. It's God's idea. This was God's plan for mankind. It is also not subject to human modification. This is what God said. But I was horrified by what I saw on a... I was just flipping through channels last night. And I saw two women talking about their new polyamorous relationship. So the woman and her husband and their girlfriend... And you know, I'm like, what? What is this? I'm, I'm, I'm you know, flipping through, and and uh, so not subject to human modification. Um, it God doesn't ask, what do you think will make you happy? God tells us, this is what makes me happy, and that's what we're subject to. And then it's not up 
to man to develop different lifestyles to take its place. This is what we have. Let's just go to uh, Professor Jeske's commentary on Genesis, um, which is the People's Bible. Marriage is established before God by an unconditional mutual commitment of a man and a woman to each other to become husband and wife. That's what makes a marriage. We also, in, oh, I, uh, also the government insists that the marriage must not be compulsory. It must be entered into voluntarily. Um, if it is discovered later on that one or the other of the couple was forced, that it wasn't, then, it, then the, the marriage is annulled. It never existed. Um, there are a couple of other things in there too, like if there's deception, if, if like the guy is a mass murderer and lies and changes his name and stuff, then marriage is annulled. U.S. laws? U.S. laws. I don't, I don't, I don't do marriages in those countries. I don't know. There probably are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, an arranged marriage is not the same as a compulsory marriage, because you can ask. I mean, what, 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 what's the song in Fiddler on the Roof? Matchmaker, matchmaker, make me a match. Find me a fine. Should I keep going? Catch me a catch. I um. So it, you, you know, when you're asking for it, then. Come and bring me one, you know. Um, so you know, you're just it, it's if as long as that's what you're asking for, then okay. Um, Non-believers bind by this one as well. Well, under God's will, yes. Um, and as far and insofar as the government has a parallel. Um, system as God, what God's will lays out. That's why unbelievers are in marriages that resemble Christian marriages. You know. But who can perform a wedding? Anybody licensed by the government. But to get a license by the government for performing a wedding is about the same now as being licensed to be a, um, um, a notary public. That's, that's about what it takes. In other words, you have to prove that you're a resident and pay a fee. That's pretty much what it, and the fee is high enough that you got to want to do this. You know, um, there really isn't an easy, free way of, of becoming, you know, essentially ordained online for the sake of doing a wedding. You, you are going to pay to do it, you yourself, and probably pass that along to the couple. It would be much cheaper to use a minister, you know, um, our, we have a fee scale at St. Paul's. The janitor gets $75 to clean up after you. We ask you to pay an organist 100 bucks and a different musician 50 bucks, mm -hmm. at minimum. Mm -hmm. you know, the church, if you're not a member, is $125. However, if you're not a member in any way, shape, or form, you can't get married at St. Paul's. The non-member thing is for like a couple that's moved away and that their family is still here. So we do charge for the church, you know, for, for use of the building and so forth. Um, and the pastor, there's a recommended pastor fee. And I would recommend that for Pastor Ilhoffen or Pastor Scharf, especially Pastor Scharf with little kids, you know, um, that he gets the $100 fee. I often waive it, but, uh, but um, 
you know, because it's, I mean, I mean, the thing is, to write a sermon, it's 20 hours. That's half of a work week. $100 isn't really what I get paid for half a work week. So I just, it just, I, I you know, it, it, it's kind of meaningless. It's just a, more of a gesture than anything else, you know. Although if a couple, you know, I, I mean, often if, they, if they're going to pay me a fee, I'm going to give them a gift for their wedding or a, or a really nice card with lots of car wash coupons or whatever it's going to be, you know. Well, yeah, but I, it's part of what I'm called to do. I, I understand. It's because I, I think the same thing when we, we have our annie coming up, mm-hmm. and we're yeah. charging $6 yeah. for an adult to come in. Mm-hmm. I'm not going to that thing. It's not worth its own $6. How good can it be? Oh, from, the, from that perspective, from that I suppose. Mm-hmm. Well, then maybe I should be charging $1,000 for, you well, know, <laughs> And that's why some denominations have a graduated scale for baptisms, but for us it's free. You know, married member of the congregation, fifty bucks. Um, not married, but member of the congregation, two hundred dollars. Not member of the congregation, four hundred dollars. Not member of congregation and not married, six hundred dollars. Then they call St. Paul's. How much is it? Well, it's free. Well, where are they going to come? You know. All right. Let's finish a couple more things about marriage. And uh, I think we've done about three verses today. That's okay. That's okay. But the intimate union is meant by God to be unique. The wife's body does not belong to her alone, but also to her husband. In the same way, the husband's body does not belong to him alone, but also to his wife. Um, Therefore, do not deprive each other except by mutual consent and for a time and this is deprive each other sexually, so that you may devote yourselves to prayer. Then come together again, so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. I say this as a concession, not as a command. Um, so that, 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 that 1 Corinthians 7 passage is a little bit hard for us to understand unless you understand that there may have been, I, I would think of them as like um, a getaway Bible class, like a retreat. So the women might go off for a couple days. And of course then, that night she's going to sleep there at the retreat, not come back with her husband. And the same thing with a, for, a, for a husband as well. But don't do this permanently. Don't think, hey, this is great. All the women should live in a barracks you know, or a nunnery because you're married. You're married for a reason. So don't deprive each other sexually except you know, for a, a time and then agree when this is going to end. Okay, and then the word one flesh, or the term, is not only about the sexual relationship. Marriage replaces the complete bond of parents and children, and it focuses our attention on the sixth commandment without forgetting about the fourth. But they are connected, the two families. It's just a matter of when does the child leave the first family, taking his feet from under his father's table, and now putting his feet under his own table. So one flesh is about mutual companionship. It's about caring and sharing in love. And then it, that's not just about stuff, but more about dreams and passions and feelings and desires and do you ever want to go to Hawaii or not? You know, stuff like that. Um, and when you love your spouse, you will love and respect yourself more and more. 
Because if, if, if you realize my spouse loves me, there must be something lovable, worthy in me, and your self-esteem goes up. You know, it, this, and, this, and, this, and this reciprocates back and forth in the marriage. That's why we complement one another um, in the marriage. Is it possible to say I love you and then slam the door in anger? Yes, it is. Yes, it is. But is it possible to say I like you and then slam the door? I'm, I'm not sure that that's possible. You know, that because I love you can, can become an almost thoughtless expression. Fine, I love you. You know, but you can't say I like you that way. Um, so it, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a wonderful thing to hear each other say, not only I love you, but I like you. And then to say that to your children also. And to let your children hear you saying it to each other. And to say it to your children their whole lives. I like you. I'm proud of you. I'm amazed by you. And the one that blew me away when a parent or an uncle or an aunt says, I, I envy you. You know, I'm, I'm jealous of what you have. You know, things like that. Yeah, because a child can say in the same day, I hate you and I love you, you know. Minutes apart. Yeah, <laughs> minutes apart. Yeah. But to finish the one flesh thought, in a mysterious manner, they are made one in a unique union. That again is Professor John Jeske who wrote our People's Bible. He also wrote a commentary on the opening chapters of Genesis, a Hebrew commentary. But I think this is from the People's Bible. I have something here from uh, Professor Heineke, who was our great doctrine professor about 100 years ago in the Wisconsin Synod, who said, the Christian home is a chapel, a miniature church within the church. And he said, ecclesiola in ecclesia, a little church in a big church, whose priest is the head of the home. Therefore, divine service must not be lacking. Obviously, the scope of the household's divine service cannot include that which belongs in the realm of the preaching office. The consideration excludes the administration of the sacraments and preaching insofar as they are public, but leading the family in prayer, urging the family to worship and godly living, urging the family and modeling for the family godly stewardship. My wife used to make sure that the envelopes were all ready on Saturday night for the kids on the stove. I try to model that still. And then Sunday noon, I come home. You know, I took communion with this boy, but the, the dollar and the envelope are still on the stove. So I'll go and talk. You know, you forgot your envelope. Oh, I forgot my envelope, you know. So. All right. That's the end of our time for today. We'll pick it up. Adam and his wife were both naked then next time. You've been listening to Invisible Church, the Bible study podcast from St. Paul's Lutheran Church, New Wall, Minnesota.